mean, that was a high-level, high-level game. I mean, that felt like Sweet 16 game, Big East Championship game, two high-level teams. So it's great. I mean, it's great for basketball in, uh, in Tri-State, Northeast. That was UConn head coach Danny Hurley talking about his team's 90-87 loss to Seton Hall in overtime at the Prudential Center on Saturday. Man, what a big-time Big East game that was. It delivered from start to finish. I am so glad I was in attendance, and that is a game that I won't forget anytime soon. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to episode 20 of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. My name is Brian DiNovellis. That was without question the best college basketball game of the season. Both teams just playing at a high, high level. And let me tell you something. There were some athletes out there, some dudes on both sides making plays. And Seton Hall was missing Alexis Yetna. Seton Hall is still suffering from the effects of a COVID layoff. They had three players dealing with a stomach flu in Bryce Aiken and Jared Roden, and Kaderi Richmond. These guys still somehow managed to play their butts off. And UConn was coming off a 17-day pause themselves with COVID. This game was meant to be played in the 50s or 60s. The metrics said it. Seton Hall, UConn, two of the top defensive teams in the Big East. Both teams allowing under 63 points per game. Seton Hall, the top defensive team in the Big East at defending the three. You cannot make any sense of what happened to this game. How does a game that was meant to be played in the 50s or 60s get up into the 80s and 90? It was incredible. It had the feel of a Big East championship game. And Hurley said it best. Hey, Maybe, if we're fortunate enough, these two teams will meet again on Saturday, March 12th at Madison Square Garden. Please sign me up for that right now. I am still on a high after watching this game. It was one of the best Seton Hall games I've ever witnessed at the Prudential Center, period. Couple of games come to mind. Maybe I'm missing one here. Uh, the St. John's game and the 2018-2019 season comes to mind. That was when Seton Hall had a big deficit early on to St. John's. They fought their way back. That was the Shavar Reynolds three in the final second of that game. And how about the overtime win over Wichita State in 2015? Fred Van Vliet, Ron Baker, two NBA players going toe-to-toe with Isaiah Whitehead, Kadeen Carrington, Desi Rodriguez, Angel Delgado. That game went into overtime. This game between Seton Hall and UConn was right up there with the best of them I have ever seen at the Prudential Center. Kaderi Richmond, this will forever be known as his game. Bryce Aiken was right there, one in one A. Adama Sonogo coming off the COVID pause. Those are your three stars of the game. And we'll begin with the man, Kaderi Richmond had some kind of superhero thing going on. Career high, 27 points. At one point, he scored 17 straight points, outscoring UConn 17 to seven. What? I tried to rack my brain for players in Seton Hall history who might've gone on a run like that. And, and I can't think of any other than 
maybe the great Terry DeHair did that at some point in his career. I don't know. The other player was maybe Marco Lokar. Old-time Pirate fans, you'll remember him. 1990, scored 41 points against Pitt. At the time, a Big East record for a freshman. He was unconscious. Maybe, maybe one of those two equaled that or came close to it. I, I can't confirm it. Listen, you score 17 points in a Big East game. That's a great game. You score 17 in a row. You're on another stratosphere. That's like folklore stuff. Richmond was in a zone. That would be an understatement to say he was in a zone. It didn't matter who was guarding him. Trust me, Danny Hurley is one of the best defensive coaches in the country, period. Okay. He's the son of Bob Hurley Sr. You don't think this guy knows how to coach defense? All right. It's in his blood, it's in his DNA. He threw everything he could. Isaiah Whaley, Tyler Polly, Tyrese Martin, all these guys, taller. Didn't matter. After the game in the press conference, everyone from both sides, they were talking about Richmond's performance. Kadari was asked if he'd ever been in a zone like that. No, I haven't been in a zone like that. Today was the first day. Uh, broke out and got loose, and it felt good. When a guy's going like that, man, you got to give him the ball. Um, you know, we've seen stretches in practice where Kadar is taking over practice, you know, just with his ball skills and his playmaking ability. So, you know, for him to do it, actually, you know, scoring the ball, it was quite, it was a sight to see. Early in the second half, we, we settled for some jumpers, and I thought he was, you know, we just needed someone getting and being aggressive getting to the, to the rim. And I thought he played physical, um, and aggressive while Bryce was out there with him. You know, we've, we've had both of them out there at times, and both of them have not been aggressive at the same time. And I thought with both of them out there, they were both aggressive, which I thought, you know, put a lot of pressure on their defense. That was obviously his best performance of the year. I don't think that we were prepared for him to take over the way he did. We, we were kind of waiting for him to you know, come back down to earth, but he never really did. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, I think that that last possession, I think we, we allowed Isaiah Whaley to play him one-on-one, you know, a six-nine guy who's one of the best shot blockers, and he just made a better move. Hey, sometimes you just have to tip your cap to the other guy, right? Hurley tipped his cap to Richmond. You heard it. He put the co-defensive Big East player of the year Isaiah Whaley, six foot nine on the six foot six Richmond. I think Hurley will take that 10 out of 10 times. Richmond managed to get to his spot and score. When a guy is in the zone and everything he throws is going in, there's practically nothing you can do to stop him. That was one of these moments. We're not talking about, you know, hitting 10, 11 threes, okay? This wasn't, you know, Steph Curry-like, all right? This was just something where a guy was balling and he knew what he wanted to do every time he got the ball. His teammates just said, go ahead, Kaderi. It's your floor. We're just going to stand over here and get out of your way. And you go do 
what you do. And it was, it was brilliant. That's an understatement. All he did was carry Seton Hall on his back for the final 16 minutes of the second half and five minutes of overtime. But as much as it was Kaderi Richmond's game, Bryce Aiken still found a way to put his mark on this game. And as I alluded to earlier, we learned after the game that Aiken, Roden, and Richmond were all battling the stomach flu, and yet somehow, someway, all three scored in double figures. All three had key buckets and key moments in the second half and overtime to propel Seton Hall. I mean, Aiken was was throwing up behind the Seton Hall bench during the game. All he did was deliver one of his finest all-around games in a Seton Hall uniform. He had 20 points, seven assists, and just two turnovers. And oh, by the way, those two turnovers came on Seton Hall's first two possessions of the game in the first minute. And it's like, oh boy, Bryce, it's going to be a long day for you. No, quite the opposite. It was a long day for RJ Cole and Jalen Gaffney and anyone else who UConn threw out there trying to stop Aiken and Richmond. They had no answers. On the flip side, Seton Hall could do little to nothing to stop Adama Sinogo once again. This dude is just an absolute unstoppable big man. The only man that I've seen stop him is himself and COVID. Other than that, there is no slowing down this guy. He is arguably, and you know how I feel about Adama Sinogo, if you've listened to this podcast. All right. I, I have been in love with this guy since he was at the Patrick School. All he did coming off a COVID pause of 17 days was throw in 18 points and a career-high 16 rebounds against Ike Obiago. Because believe me, every time Adama Sinogo was on the floor, every second Ike Obiago was on the floor for Seton Hall. That was the chess match. Tyrese Samuel was there as well, but it didn't matter. Sonogo was the man who put UConn ahead in overtime with under a minute to play with all that I can describe is an NBA postman move where he faked with his back to his basket, faked to his right shoulder, came around, and threw in a soft jump hook that rattled in for his 18th and final points of the game. UConn fans thought that that might be the basket that put them over the top until Kaderi Richmond got the ball in his hands again and delivered the final dagger, the final basket that put Seton Hall ahead for good. Man, what a game. And it all came down to Jared Roden on the final possession for UConn. UConn holding for one shot. Tyrese Martin trying to get the ball down low to Adama Sinogo so that he could try to deliver UConn to a road victory. Instead, it was Ike Obiagu fronting him. Then Ike Obiagu double teaming Tyrese Martin 
and Jared Roden reaching in, stripping the ball, diving on the floor, calling timeout with less than two seconds left and giving Seton Hall a chance to then seal it with two Bryce Aiken free throws. What a game. What a finish. And Martin, oh, by the way, still played an excellent game himself with 13 points. Um, Andre Jackson is, is one of the freakiest athletes ever at UConn and, and that I've ever seen. Um, when he's hitting a couple of three-pointers the way he did, it's like, oh, boy. I mean, everything they, they're throwing is going in. It was that type of a game, back and forth, several lead changes. I know Seton Hall was without Alexis Yetna, and you cannot underestimate the importance of Yetna. He has become a double-double machine, and he would have grabbed some of those rebounds that UConn got, but UConn still, with Ike and Tyrese in there, Tyrese playing 18 minutes, UConn manhandled Seton Hall on the boards, 40 to 25. They had 18 offensive rebounds. Think about that, 18. They did what they do, but where UConn lost this game was their inability to stop Richmond and Aiken, and they had some costly turnovers. The first half, Seton Hall was very sloppy with the ball. They had eight turnovers, but they held it together in the second half, only had four in the second half and 12 for the game. Those sloppy, careless turnovers that Seton Hall had in the first half continued to plague UConn throughout the game. They ended up with 19 of those. And Seton Hall capitalized by getting 26 points off of those 19 turnovers. So that's where UConn lost this game. So where do we stand? Right now, look, Providence and Villanova deservedly at the top. They're the two best teams in the Big East record-wise, four and one. And you can make a case they are the two best teams in the Big East. But right there, let's just throw some cards out there and flip over any card you want in any order. It's Villanova. It's Providence. It's Seton Hall. It's UConn. And it's Xavier. And let's throw another card in there and mix them all up because Creighton is starting to build a little bit of a resume themselves. They're young. I don't put them on the level of those teams right now, but hey, when it's all said and done, Greg McDermott can coach with the best of them. He's got talent again. He knows how to mesh it all together. They could be there as well, but I'm going to put them on the outside of those big five looking in. Providence, Villanova, Xavier, Seton Hall, UConn, all right? But right now, what I saw between UConn and Seton Hall, they are playing at a high level like they were in the 90s. They have athletes. They have length. They have shot blockers. Neither one is an excellent shooting team, but both can score. And they have outstanding, excellent coaches who get their kids to play hard for 40 minutes. They have a ton of respect for one another. I mean, man, can you tell I'm excited about them? Can you? Uh, if you don't think I'm excited about them, listen to the respect that they had for one another after Saturday's game. 
Danny's as good a coach as, as I go against all year long. Um, it's why I wasn't happy that they came in the league. It wasn't anything, you know, I know I made a wise-ass comment about, oh, I don't, it wasn't anything, I don't want to go against Danny twice a year. Danny's, a, uh, the way he runs his program, um, the players he gets and recruits, and the level he coaches at, um, it's, it's a high-level program, and he's a high-level coach. So um, it's, it's great that our games are battles. I think they're going to be battles because we're very similar. His teams and my teams play very similar, uh, both physical. I mean, they, they rebound the ball phenomenal tonight. They're always going to be a high level. Um, they always are. That's just the way Danny, Danny is. He runs a phenomenal program. So you know, when, when coaches say they don't want you in the league, it's probably the biggest compliment you can get because they don't want to go against you twice. I think a lot like us, they have a lot of, a lot of depth, uh, physically imposing. You know, got some real firepower on the perimeter, well-coached. You know they're a title contender, and uh, you know as are we, and, and two teams that will we'll probably you know be battling it out over the course of the next couple of months, and then uh, two teams with got great potential in March. But as I said, you gotta stay healthy. If so, Seton Hall and UConn will be dangerous come March. As for the immediate future, here's what we have: Seton Hall. They've picked themselves off the canvas, all right? They added a standing eight count, a COVID TKO. They got up, said, hey, I'm good. They tapped their gloves and went right back in the ring and delivered two impressive victories. One at Butler by 15, one at home, a three-point overtime win against UConn. They are now two and two. And they hit the road this week at DePaul and at Marquette, who is another very dangerous, very capable team of beating anybody in the Big East. So Seton Hall at worst has to go one and one on the road this week and gain a split. If they could go two and oh, move to four and two, look out, then they have Providence at home and a chance to get into that top one or two teams in the Big East, depending on what else is going on. But take care of business at DePaul and then at Marquette. Not easy, but we'll see what happens. Uh, Hopefully, they have Alexis Yetna back. Kevin Willard said he was likely only going to miss the UConn game. We shall see. Meanwhile, UConn falls to one and two in the Big East. But look who they've lost to. They lost to Providence at home without Adama Sonogo, and they lost to Seton Hall on the road. As Danny Hurley said after the game, man, we just got to stop losing. I'm tired of losing. Okay, we know that. Every game, it seems like they're right in. They lose by three. They lose by four. Well, sooner or later, they got to win these games, right? Uh, Otherwise, you are what your record says they are. Ten and four overall. One and two in the Big East. This team is still catching its breath. Guys played a lot of minutes. Martin played 37. Jackson played 35. Cole played 35 before fouling out. So what do they have this week? It's the Big East, baby. It's a brawl every game. They host St. John's on Wednesday. They're at Providence on Saturday. The Huskies looking to avoid going 0-2 versus the Friars. I already said it. 
They had no Sonogo that first time. They lost 57-53. Adama Sonogo, everything that UConn does offensively and defensively revolves around the big man. RJ Cole is the straw that stirs the drink. He runs the show. But the most important player, most valuable player on this Huskies team is Sonogo. They will have him back. He will be a difference maker against Nate Watson. That will be a fantastic, fantastic matchup between, in my opinion, and probably most opinions, the two best big men in the Big East. I put Watson a notch above him right now, but Sonogo is right there breathing down his back. All right. St. John's, meanwhile, they're coming off about with COVID. They split last week. They beat DePaul at home. They had to do that. It took a career game from Julian Champagny, 36 points, 16 rebounds, three blocks. My gosh, talk about a superhero performance. All right. Um, Julian Champagny was dealing that game, but he couldn't follow it up on the road as St. John's lost to Providence. So St. John's on that back-to-back New England road trip at Providence at UConn, we'll see if the Johnnies can bounce back and win at UConn or if UConn can get back into the win column. All right? The road is not kind in the Big East Conference. I like the Huskies at home in that one. We shall see. So... Seton Hall and UConn might have been the best game in New Jersey over the weekend, but it wasn't the best finish. That belonged to Princeton. The Tigers stunned Cornell 72-70 to on a three-pointer at the buzzer by Matt Alaco. This kid was making his first career start. Here's how it all sounded on the Princeton broadcast. A Walmart's free throw, no good. Noel with it. Noel, near side, no timeouts. Noel gets to the basket, lays it up and in with 4.9 seconds left. Langborg back down the floor. The Tigers have two timeouts remaining. Alaco hurls it at the rim. Got it! Matt Alaco at the buzzer. The Tigers win it. Happy birthday, Matt Alaco. This kid <laughs> turned 21 on Saturday. Then he gets his first career start. Then he hits the game winner at the buzzer. You can't make this up. Hello, Hollywood. They're calling on line one. Here to talk about that shot and the Tigers 2-0 start in the Ivy League is the man himself, Matt Alaco. Matt, welcome to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. Could you have asked for a better birthday present? Absolutely not. There's, I don't think there's any better way to celebrate a birthday than a win. And... Uh, in that fashion, I think, is something pretty special. And, you know, it's a memory that I'll have forever. So you woke up that day, Matt, and you're, did you know that you'd be starting? Because uh, in case fans don't know, uh, you beat Columbia the night before. Mm-hmm. And one of the best players on the team, one of the leading candidates for Ivy League Player of the Year, Jalen Llewellyn, is uh, injured in that game. and. Mm-hmm. You're the one who started in his place. So right. when did you know you were going to get the start? And how was your preparation? 
Um, we have well, was my first back to back. So we didn't have practice or anything to prepare. Um, so we just we had a walkthrough, you know, just kind of go over their sets, some stuff we're going to run. And, uh, you know, I was with the first group. That's, you know, the first moment I knew I was starting. And um, I don't know, it's, it's tough to replace Jalen. You know, obviously he's, he's an incredible player, but I was just going to do whatever I could do. I was going to do my part and uh, whatever to help the team win. And Matt, let's face it. Sometimes when you have less time to think about it, the better it is, right? So here you are thrust into the starting lineup. Let's go through that final play. Mm-hmm. All right. Princeton is up one. You got fouled uh, coming out of the timeout, I believe, going to the free throw line. Mm-hmm. shooting one and one with 11 seconds left. Mm-hmm. Take our fans through what happened uh, over the next 11 seconds, that chaotic 11 seconds. Yeah. Um, we missed a free throw. They got the rebound and, uh, you know, didn't call a timeout, just ran it up the court. Um, you know, they made, they made a good play, um, got to the rim, got a let, and we, we decided not to call the timeout. Uh, coach thought, I guess, you know, it was in our best interest just to push it back up the floor and, you know, without them being in a set defense. So um, we made a good outlet pass to Ryan Langborg. He handled, actually did a great job, handled some pressure at half court. Um, There's a lot of bodies around there, but made a good move, got me the ball. And, um, you know, at that point, you know, I just had to lift it. There was hardly any time on the clock. And, um, you know, shot it and it went in and, you know, it was a special moment. But um, I think we did a really good job of staying composed even when we were down. And, and like I said, Ryan did a great job of handling pressure. So they make the layup with mm-hmm. just under five seconds to go. Yep. Right. You're like, you don't even have time to think in that moment. Right. Oh, so Ryan's bringing the ball up the left side. Uh, you're on the right side of the court. Mm hmm. Your vision of him is there. And are you just trying to, you know, make yourself available in case he's in trouble? And uh, did you have every sense of how much time was on the clock and how little time? Yeah, I I mean, as as a player, especially in that moment, it's important to kind of have a clock in your head. And, um, you know, like I said, there was a lot of pressure around Ryan. So I was just trying to find a window and get open in case he needed it. I don't know if it's kind of like a sense you have when you're on the court or, you know, I can't remember if I might've peaked at the clock, but mm-hmm. you know, it was coming down three, two, one and had to lift it. Did it look good? Did it feel good coming out of your hands? It, it actually felt really good. I feel like a lot of people would say that in that situation, but <laughs> it, it, as soon as it came off, it, it felt good. And the buzzer sounds and what are you doing? Matt, um, man, um, <laughs> were you it, running for your uh, life or, or did you go to, you know, hug somebody? <laughs> it was, uh, Drew Freiberg was right next to me and I made the shot. He was the first one to come and get me, gave me a big hug. Um, I don't know, like I, it's tough to react in those situations. Like I wasn't sure what to do. Wasn't sure whether to take off running or, you know, start yelling or keep a straight face. I think I ended uh-huh. up kind of keeping a straight face, you know? But, um, yeah, the team kind of mobbed me, and I don't know. It was, it was a, a special moment. It's it's incredible group of guys, and um, for them to be, you know, happy about the team, but also for me, it was pretty special. 
And have you ever hit a game-winning shot at the buzzer at any level, Matt, before? Um, I have, but, you know, I think when I was really young. So, um, but Are that moment like against... I'm sorry, we're talking like rec basketball or... or... Yeah, you know, like kind of like a travel league. Okay. When I was when I was young, you know, like elementary school maybe was mm-hmm. the last time I hit like an actual buzzer beater game winning shot. So, you know, it's been a long time coming, I guess. Um, I wouldn't necessarily love to be in those situations again. You know, I, I like to just win the game, but um, I don't it's you know, it's going to be tough to win in the league. So, you know, we'll probably be in that situation again. So it's good to have some experience. No question about it. And the experience that you've gone through, Matt, the Ivy League didn't have a season at all last year. So Mm -hmm. you have to stay mentally and physically ready while sitting out an entire year. Uh, Then you come into this season and yeah, you're playing games, but there's another COVID stop. You're dealing with exams. Um, (laughs) You're dealing with things that you might not have ever experienced before. So how have you prepared yourself uh, mentally and physically uh, to be in this moment at this point in the season? It's been a tough adjustment, but I mean, just the resources at this school too uh, have really helped, you know, on the academic side, there's a lot of help. And, um, you know, just being around a team again is, is pretty special. You know, it's the guys like older guys in particular have, have helped me get me through it. And cause they experienced the same thing, you know, they lost a year, but they also had a year under their belt. And um, I think their guidance has really helped me and prepare me for this season. You always have to rely on the upperclassmen. No question mm-hmm. about it. Is this something that you guys practice all the time, special situations with Coach Henderson, you know, four seconds left, five seconds left to be ready for those moments? We do. We do. Um, we'll prepare. We'll do some situations in practice, you know, down two, down one, up to in this situation, you know, how many seconds on the clock. So uh, coach did a great job to prepare us for it and uh, it paid off. So have you been one to take a shot in practice or is it typically somebody else? Um, I have maybe not when we're practicing those specific situations, but, you know, in a game setting or something in practice, um, I've, I've shot a couple, but um, we have a lot of good options, you know, to score. And it's, you know, I don't know. It could have been anybody, I guess, the other day, but the ball found my hands. And that ball found the bottom of the net. Uh, <laughs> this team is on a roll. Um, they've won seven in a row, Matt. You guys, mm-hmm. uh, I know the Ivy League standings. There's not a balanced schedule because of stops and starts with COVID, but you are 2-0. and Princeton has won seven in a row, 12-3 and overall. How about where you are at this point in the season uh, and right in the heart, you know, getting started with this Ivy League grind? Yeah, I love where we're at. Um, We've been playing really well. Uh, This last weekend was was a great start to the league, Um, but it just showed how difficult it's going to be. The league is really good and anybody can beat anybody. Um, Like, you know, the last two games we've been down big, but um, you know, this team has a lot of fight and we stay together. And uh, the last couple of games, we showed a lot of grit to fight back and, and win both games. No, that's an understatement. OK, <laughs> you, you 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 were down 12 at the half against Columbia, came back and won that game. 
Both yeah. of these games are at home. And then mm-hmm. Cornell, you trailed by 18 with about 16 to go. Mm-hmm. Where do you find the grit to stay focused uh, and, and, and just stay together and trust yourselves that, hey, we're not out of it? Yeah, it's, you know, we, we try to break it up into four minute games. Every media timeout is, is after four minutes. So, you know, every media timeout, we'll get in a huddle. We'll talk to one another and coach is saying, hey, just chip away, chip away. You know, by the next four minutes, let's get it down to this. And then let's get it down to this after the next four. And, um, you know, as the game went on, we just kept chipping. We stayed together. And, you know, like I feel like your your energy builds, you know, momentum is an important thing. And um, when we started to make shots and get some stops, it was it was a good sign for us. And we just built off it. No question. Hey, it uh, doesn't matter how you win. Just win these games. And you've had Absolutely. some great wins. You, you've had some you've had some tough losses against some very good teams. Uh, mm-hmm. Minnesota, I believe that loss was in double overtime. Yeah, uh, Monmouth and Hofstra, two very good mid-major teams who were having great years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you had some great wins over South Carolina and Oregon State. So uh, it's a great schedule. How has that schedule, those wins and losses, prepared you for uh, what's to come? Um, I think they've done a great job preparing us. It's, uh, you know, it's high-level basketball, you know, mid-major, high-major, every, everybody can play. So um i think it just prepared us for league play we want to get a little bit better every day you know and especially in the league that's our goal is to win the league so um just taking it day by day and game by game and um seeing if we can get better and we want to be playing our best basketball by march so the next game up is brown uh followed by penn yep um you know how about how about these games uh, you're going to be playing them at home and also what it's like to not be playing in front of fans. So, so let's just talk about your opponents first and then talk about, you know, that you're not playing in front of any fans at Jaguar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, as far as our opponents, these next games, I mean, like really, again, really good teams and really good players. Um, I know a lot of our guys are familiar with the other team and it's, it's going to be a great test, but um, as far as fans go, it's, you know, as we would, we would love to play in front of fans, of course. Um, you know, we missed that a year ago, but um, honestly, as long as we're playing, I'm happy and our team is happy. You know, we got every, we got 19 guys on our team plus the staff and we feel like that's, that's all we need to, to win. And um, yeah, having fans, I wouldn't necessarily say makes a difference. You know, we're just out there playing ball and competing. So is COVID on your mind and what are you doing? What are the players doing to try to hopefully avoid? Because it's kind of a crapshoot at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's always in the back of our minds. Um, But I think we just try to be smart, you know, stay away from crowds and such um, and wear a mask when we can. So um, I don't know. Other than that, probably not much you can do. But, you know, just trying to be mindful of certain situations and and hopefully we can get through the season without any, you know, postponed games or, you know, practices, something like that. So uh, a tremendous start to the season, Matt, 2-0 in the Ivy League, uh, continued success. Before I let you go, 
you turned 21 on Saturday. Mm-hmm. What did you do to celebrate after the game winning shot and that victory? Just hung out with the team. You know, like I said, it's another COVID thing. You know, we didn't want to celebrate with people outside of our group, I guess. So, um, but like I said, that's all we need. It's a great group of guys and, you know, we got some funny guys on this team. So just to hang out with them was, was a good time. All right, Matt, hope the good times keep rolling on for you guys. Uh, we'll be following Princeton throughout the rest of the season. And thank you for coming on a few minutes uh, on the Tri-State College Basketball Report. Best of luck the rest of the way. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. That was Matt Alaco. Best birthday ever? You better believe it was. He said it right there. Princeton is 2-0, and and they are looking to make some noise in New Jersey this year, in the Ivy League. Hey, maybe we get a couple of New Jersey teams, multiple New Jersey teams in that NCAA tournament. It's never too early to start thinking about that. Princeton is oh so dangerous in the Ivy League. What a weekend for New Jersey college hoops. Thanks for listening to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. Just to relive some of those memories and some of those great moments from this weekend. Until next time, have a great week, everybody. We will see you next time right here on the Tri-State College Basketball Report.